What's up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 141 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We have a couple of different topics to talk about today. But before we jump into it, just wanted to say, uh, Shawan, how are you doing there, sir? Let everyone know how you are. Uh, not bad, man. I'm busy as always. It's getting the temperature is getting schizophrenic down here. One day it's in the good 80, next minute it's 40 degrees, the following day it's 97, then it's 30 degrees. So, yeah, it's, it's been pretty consistent around 40 over here, 40 to 50 that's to pro- 60 pounds. People always talk about the heat, but I'm like, the heat you get used to when it's just hot. The problem is when you have these 60 to 50 degree swings in temperature throughout the day, that's when it gets really hard to deal with. True, true. Uh, how's the family coping? Hope the girls are staying uh, they're good. Uh, no one's got sick yet, right? Uh, when you got kids and they're on teenagers and other kids, they stay sick. My uh, youngest has got to stay home again. And second time this week because she got sick at school. So I'm like, ugh, this is killing me. I take her to work with me on Tuesday. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> she's got. Was. She came 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 home early today, and I was going to be off tomorrow. So it has been nothing but a uh, cavalcade of fun over here. Yeah, <laughs> Good luck. It's not fun at all, sir. Um, but what is fun is talking about mixed martial arts. We got quite a bit of things to talk about today we're going to recap ufc 244 talk about that big show and a couple of different angles coming out of that uh, we're going to look forward to ufc moscow and bellator 233 this weekend and also look back at uh canelo versus kovalev which was on this past weekend we got a we got a a viewer question about that so let's go ahead and start off with ufc 244 where we have Jorge Masvidal taking home the BMF title, and he did so via TKO uh, by a doctor stoppage after the third round due to a nasty cut that was over Nate Diaz's um, right eye, I believe. And we know the story here. There's been a lot of conversation about whether or not this this stoppage was valid. You have a lot of people that are... um, that The doctor who called the stoppage was even getting death threats. He posted that on social media this week, and I think he did an interview about that too. Uh, a lot of people were upset, but for the most part, most of the individuals who are professionals within the sport, like from a media standpoint, and other officials say that it was a valid stoppage. If you've seen the pictures of the two cuts that Diaz had over his eyes, it was pretty bad. It was um, uh, in, One was in the same spot that he had against Anthony Pettis at UFC 239. And there's a lot of different angles being posed when talking about this situation here. Some are saying that the stoppage was not um, was not good, that they should run it back. Others are saying that the stoppage was valid. I don't see that there's a point for a, a rematch right at this time. I think it just does it's, it's just doing too much for what was a very fun moment. I will say that this it wasn't an ideal way for that fight to end. It wasn't an ideal way at all, but it is not. <laughs> illegitimate in any way, shape, or form. I think it was a clean stoppage from uh, what we've seen with that, with that cut and how nasty it could be. I don't think there's any reason to question the um, the doctor in this situation. Uh, Shawan, what are some of your thoughts about how this fight ended on Saturday? Well, in a certain way, I, I feel like the fight, was, it was a good ending just because it was a conclusive. You always want a conclusive ending, especially when it's for a title called the baddest MF in the world or whatever, BMF title. But in a certain instance, the way it ended allowed everybody to kind of save face. Jorge Masvidal got to show off, show that there's levels between him and Nate Diaz as far as their skill set and how they've evolved over their time in mixed martial arts. Um, Nate Diaz got to show that he still has his chin. He still has his heart. 
he still had that warrior spirit spirit and he didn't get forced in a position where he had to tap out or a position where he got knocked out. So even though it was conclusive and it, it, even though it was conclusive, we can make strong conclusions about how the fight was going. It, it didn't really end in a manner that kind of took away from either one, you know, because Nate Diaz gets knocked out cold and that kind of takes away some of his, his momentum and his, his rep is this dude who can't be stopped. This dude who's a really bad dude, a dude who's just a warrior in there. I mean, everybody respects the guy who gets knocked out, but it's hard to hear a guy talk super tough when they just got knocked clean out with the cut. It can still be a matter of, he has his, I was about to come on the doctor. Stop it. They're playing a game with me. They're manipulating me. It kind of goes back to the whole brand that he sells, which is if this is a street fight, you don't stop street fights until they're over and I was going to make my comeback late and make it into a war. So he, he doesn't lose anything from this. It shows that he, he's a little limited in his skill set, but we've all, we've all known that. We've known that Nate Diaz is limited in his skill set for years, but it didn't put him in a position where his heart or durability is still questioned. He's still considered a dude who's only been stopped once and a guy who's willing to walk through all sorts of punishment to uh, uh, do some work or to be effective in a fight. So to to that point, I kind of disagree with you because this way, like I said, Jorge shows he's a world-class guy and he's above, he's levels above Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz still shows that he's got world-class heart, world-class grit, world-class chin, even though we know he doesn't have world-class skills necessarily. And he gets to walk away and push his storyline and still keep, still be true to his brand. So you said something about the cut making the fight, uh, making the stoppage questionable or something along. I'm not exactly sure the exact word you used there, but I don't know if I agree with that because from a rule standpoint, stoppages are, I mean, cut stoppages are a way to win a fight. That's why a lot of fighters use slashing elbows to open up cuts on their, on their opponent. Yeah. Nate, maybe Nate or anyone else who's lost a fight along this way may be able to say, "Oh well, it's not legitimate. I just got cut, et cetera, et cetera." But that's an actual strategy: grounded pound leading to nasty cuts like that. That's why you see a lot of people use those type types of, of elbows. It's no different than someone getting caught with a submission. Oh, that he really didn't do anything. He just caught me with that heel hook, or he just caught me with that armbar, et cetera, et cetera. I, 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 I was winning the fight. I think that's just something that people throw out there, but this is still well within the rules for a um, path to victory for a fighter, regardless of whether we agree with it or not. And then on the other side of that, people talk about the fourth and fifth round with Nate Diaz as if he was coming on. I don't think he really was. We've never actually seen, I think there's only the most, the only fight in recent memory that we could talk about where he um, fought in the fourth and fifth round was against Conor McGregor. And yeah, he looked better then. But I think it's a stress to say he was coming on in this fight here. Um, he was definitely uh, losing this contest. And I think that, that if, if the fight would have continued, he would have lost every single round. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, even though the legitimacy of it, I, I understand it's a legitimate way of stopping it. Only thing I'm saying is it doesn't, it doesn't hurt his brand. He still can say the things he says as far as conspiracy against him. Nobody likes him. The doctor's against him. UFC's against him. Then he can still talk with a certain swagger and a certain aggression because he wasn't finished. You know, when it's like a, it was kind of like when Conor McGregor got beat by Nate Diaz and he got tapped out. And afterwards, Conor was talking about how he almost had him and he's going to punish him. It's really hard to take that seriously when you were finished. It kind of takes away a little bit off the edge off of your brand when you've been finished like that. Since Nate wasn't necessarily finished, he can still say, 
I wouldn't have stopped. I was nowhere near quitting. I was about to come on. And when you looked at his over, over his career, that's how he's won the majority of his fights. Second half of the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. He's always come on late. So he can still he can still draw people because his fan base is going to buy into it. Casuals are going to buy into it. So it still makes him a viable star and a viable viable uh, opponent for anybody else who's trying to get a, who's trying to get a name fight where they can make some money and get some crossover appeal. He hasn't lost anything. Once again, before the fight I said, skill-wise this isn't even close. Jorge's better in almost every single area, but the matter is going to be conditioning and heart. And you still can't question Nate's conditioning to a certain degree. You still can't question his heart, and that's what he's selling people. He's not selling that he's the most skilled fighter. This isn't the the MS F title, you know, this is the BMF. It's not about the most skilled, the most technical guy. It's supposed to be for the toughest guy, and he can still talk that talk as a tough guy because he didn't tap out, he didn't give up, and he didn't look for a way out. In fact, after losing, he's still running his mouth, talking talking stuff, saying he wants more of it. Now, do we think he's technically capable of winning the fight? I don't know. It didn't look like it. But as far as the spirit and the mindset, thinking that he could find some way to win, then yeah, you you buy into it. So it, it just doesn't hurt the bottom. It doesn't hurt his bottom line. It doesn't hurt his image. It doesn't hurt his brand. And as a result, it doesn't hurt the level of the fight because the whole time he was still fighting back. It wasn't competitive. It wasn't super technical. He didn't really have any answers, but he was still engaging. He was still fighting. And that's what's going to help the UFC if they choose to market him further. And that's what's going to help him as he promotes himself further because nobody just outright beat him in the submission or knocked him out. He can still talk the talk that he always likes to talk about being tough and being a guy who everybody should fear and everybody should run away from him. So you mentioned what's next for these guys. You know, Diaz has been tweeting lately that he's going to retire and walk away from the sport. I mean, I look at that as, you know, I kind of shrugged and was like, well, next. I just kind of scrolled by it like it didn't really matter because we've heard the Diaz brothers go back and forth talking about this type of situation before. Uh, I wonder what his payout was for this event. I haven't seen anything yet. But I think that that would be a good understanding of how long he may be away from the sport. Um, do I think he walks away for a little while? Yeah. I think it's another year before we see him fight or so based on this situation. Uh, let's talk about that first before we move on to what's next for Masvidal. What did you think about Diaz's kind of response on social media saying, do you think he's really gone? Uh, I mean, given... I mean, he's one of the few guys who's actually had an issue with the UFC and actually taking time off. And once again, it comes off of career-high paydays. Because of the interest he's generated because of his brand and how he is and who he is and, and taking, taking advantage of the moment, he's put himself in a position where he can literally say, I'm not going to fight and not have any financial reason to get back in there. They can't bully Nate Diaz with paychecks. They can't bully him with paydays. He's In, his, in three of his fights, he's made more than some guys have made in their entire careers. Some guys who fought 10, 15 times in the UFC have not made what Nate Diaz has made in three fights. Two with Conor McGregor, one with Jorge Masvidal, and even though he didn't make as much money for Anthony Pettis, I guarantee you he was one of the top three or four paid people in the fight with Anthony Pettis, too. So he's in a position where, where he doesn't have to do that. In fact, taking a break and, and giving the middle finger to the UFC actually helps his brand. They're not giving me what I want. I don't believe I was finished. I don't believe I was done. They're sabotaging me. I'm not playing the game like the rest of these clowns. Middle finger up, I'm out. That just helps his brand. That helps him sell. He has no real reason to play ball with the UFC. It's going to cost him money to be a company man. To continue the behavior he has had in the past two to three years, it makes him money. It makes him money every single day he tells the UFC, 
I'm not doing what you want till you give me what I want. It makes him money. He has no reason to come back. There's not a lot of money fights, except for maybe Connor. I mean, there's big fights, but it's big UFC fights. It's not big event fights. It's not the kind of fights that Rock will come out to see. So he's got no reason to come back to UFC, unless he just wants to. And that was never his goal. He wants to make as much money as possible and be in the biggest fights possible. Neither one of those things is an option right now. Jorge's not fighting him next. And unless Connor comes back, there's no other real, like, legitimate big-time fight out there for him to get involved in. Do you think we see him fight again, or is that it? Or, or are we not going to see him fight again? If you had to pick one, what, what would you I think he'll fight pick? again. I think he'll fight again at least once or twice, I think. Okay. All right. So let's move on to Masvidal then. So he picked up what was probably the most important win of his career. Uh, he is ranked, I think, number three in the lightweight division now. What do you see next from him, for him? Does he face the winner of UFC uh, 245 that lightweight or that welterweight title fight between Kamar Usman and Kobe Covington, or does he pick a fight with Conor McGregor, uh, maybe and maybe get that situation? If you were in charge with him, what would you tell him to do? What direction would you go with him? It really depends. I don't know if he if he's about legacy, then he goes for the title because if he wins the title, he could some somehow talk to UFC into giving Conor McGregor a title shot at welterweight. I think the UFC would be willing to make that happen. If he wanted it and Conor wanted it, I think the UFC would make that happen. Cause, and like I said, Jorge is not a big lightweight. He, he light, Excuse me, welterweight. He moved from lightweight. So he's not super huge. So it's a feasible fight. Conor's fought at welterweight before. If he gets a title and he fights Conor McGregor, how big is that fight? Conor has a chance to win a title in the third weight class against, against a guy who's not only the BMF but also the welterweight champion. That that's something that you could really sell. I mean, at this point, he doesn't. He's not going to have any more leverage than he has right now. He has two highlight reel knockout wins, and then he has his fight of the night, one-sided beating over Nate Diaz. So he's got all this momentum. He's got all this popularity. Um, <clears throat> personally, I think he's going to sit out and wait for the belt. I think Conor McGregor is appealing to him, but he seems to really want the belt. He seems to really want to separate himself and establish himself as a all-time great, or at least a guy who's in the conversation for being an all-time great. And the BMF title, I don't think is going to do that, but winning a world championship will. So I, I really think he's going to hold out for the title. I don't, I don't know when Connor's fighting. I don't know anything about Connor fighting. So I can't imagine him building his whole schedule and his whole career around a guy who, who's been talking about fighting for two years but hasn't come anywhere near signing a contract and who nobody has any idea when he's coming back or who he's coming back against. Uh, he's supposed to be coming back on the 18th, but no one, and, and there's supposed to be an announcement coming up, but the UFC has yet to kind of confirm or deny anything. So I'm waiting just like everybody else to see what the hell that situation is about, if it's a real deal. All, all I know right now is Jorge needs to be very careful how he plays these next couple decisions because, as I said before, he's been in this, he's, he's a veteran. He's been in for years, what, 10, 11 years fighting, maybe more. This is the first time he's had leverage. This is the first time he's been which you can consider a star. It's the first time he's been on top of the mountain and he's had some influence and ability to dictate shots and get massive paydays. He can't afford to mishandle this. Then whatever decision he makes, his next decision is the most important decision because not only did he have two legitimate quality, quality wins over ranked guys who were currently threats in the UFC, he has a, in the fight over Diaz, Diaz isn't really a ranked fighter in the welterweight division or really the lightweight division at this point. He's a named fighter. And he beat the name, and he's picked up all the momentum that's come with that. 
adding it to his own. So whatever decision he makes now is very important because he won't ever have outside of winning the title. He will never have this much power and this much momentum behind him again. So, okay. I, I, I think I agree with you there. And I do believe that playing, playing the situation out really is important uh, at this point in time, because we've seen how quickly power can go from the UFC back to the fighter and, and inverse from the fighters to the, um, to the UFC. Uh, is this the biggest win of Masvidal's career? And can he top this win, even if he was going to uh, become the champion? Do you think this is the moment that we look back and I say this is the most important win of, of his entire career? It's the biggest win as far as fan, fan uh, as far as crossover appeal and mainstream appeal. It's the biggest win because it's over a mainstream star. It's a fight that not only was a it's a fight that not only was it was was important, I guess, to say in the mixed martial arts. It's important to casuals. It's important to everybody. I mean, this this fight basically carried the card, and it's not a fight between two highly ranked welterweights. It's a fight between one highly ranked welterweight and one guy who honestly shouldn't even be in the top fifteen. It's it's the most important fight because it's broke him free and really introduced him to the mainstream. Like everybody knew who Nate Diaz was before. Once he fought Conor McGregor, everybody knew who Nate Diaz was. People knew who Jorge Masvidal was before, but once he fought Nate Diaz in the buildup, even though it wasn't as con- contentious as the Nate Diaz Conor McGregor buildup was, they got to tell his story. He's getting all these specials done on him. He, he's on he's on all these mainstream TV shows. People are getting to find out about the man, his his thoughts on things, his political positions. His uh his his history growing up, he's getting all sorts of attention he never would have got fighting a top name in mixed martial arts. So now this is important because it's important for his career and his brand. It's established him in a way that beating Dustin Poirier, Khabib, Nurmagomedov would never establish him. The only other fighter that he could beat that would give him any sort of run like this would have been Conor McGregor. So as far as how it benefits his brand and his mass appeal, this is the most important fight of his career. As far as beating a legitimate opponent who has a skill set and is currently competing and will move you up in the rankings, beating Nate Diaz didn't do anything for him. It just gave him more pop- popularity, more attention. As far as quality fights rankings, um, beating Ben Askren was probably the best, most most important fight in his career. Good thoughts there, sir. Good thoughts. Let's move on <clears throat> to the next fighter I would like to talk about, and that's Mr. Dan Till who picked up another big win and, or excuse me, he picked up an, an important win over Kelvin Gastelum taking a, was it a split decision? Was, was this the one that had like the shoddy um, judging? But yeah. I think a, some, somebody gave it like 30, 27 Gastelum. Yeah. That was pretty interesting there, but he picked up a um, decision win over Kelvin Gastelum. And my first thought in watching this fight is, is, is this more an indictment on Gastelum and looking back to the Israel Adesanya fight and maybe wondering how much did that fight take out of him? Or is this the real Darren Till? Uh, what are your thoughts about that there? Is this more about what that Adesanya fight took out of Kelvin? And are we going to begin seeing a downward slide for him? Or is this the, is this the Darren Till that we all thought we would see? Uh, I didn't really think I'd see it because my question hasn't been with Darren Till's physical tools it hasn't necessarily been with his skill set. It's been issues with his strategy, his preparation, his professionalism. I still don't know if these questions have been answered because he faced a guy who wasn't really pushing him. I mean, Gaslam didn't force a pace. 
He w- wasn't willing to walk through shots to get his own shots off. He he only really attacked one way, and he didn't really seem to have any energy. So Till got an important win and a high-level win because of where Gaskell was ranked. But, I mean, what did, what did Kelvin show you in that fight that answered any of the questions we have about Till? I don't know if Till's chin is still good. Gaskell didn't really test it. I don't know if Till's poise and maturity is still there, is there has been developed, because Gaslam didn't put him in a position where he had to show poise and maturity. I don't know how his cardio holds up, because Gaslam didn't challenge him in any area to test his cardio or his durability. So I have the same questions about Till that I had um, prior to the win. only thing this does is tell me a lot about Kevin Gaslam, that he may have already hit his ceiling. Uh, that that um, little run he made to the middleweight title, which, as I've said repeatedly, was one of the weakest runs to a title shot in the history of mixed martial arts. Um, might have might have just exposed him. He might this might be might be all he is at this point. A tough guy who can fight in spots, who's got some athleticism and can fight in spots, but is incapable of beating elite talent. Now matched up with the right elite talent in the right matchups, he can be effective. He can be maybe devastating, but when matched up outside of that, he doesn't have much to offer. That's what it's starting to look like with Kelvin Gastelum. As far as Darren Till, I don't know what Darren Till has because he wasn't, he wasn't tested. In my opinion, he wasn't tested in any form or fashion. So you don't think Darren uh, Till was tested here? What is his ceiling as a middleweight? Do you think that he's someone that can maybe um, oppose a uh, Israel Adesanya, or is this more of a again? Is this more of an, an indictment or indictment? of Gastelum not being an elite fighter, quote-unquote? I mean, he's young, so there's always a chance of him taking huge steps forward as far as his his technique and his um, the structure and how he fights, not just having random techniques you can do, but knowing how to build your techniques from the A to Z instead of just having these random letters put together and depending on your physical attributes to dictate. But throughout what I've seen of Darren Till, he hasn't shown a lot. He's not a very high-volume fighter. He's not a very high pace fighter. He hasn't shown outstanding wrestling or outstanding grappling. He hasn't really shown outstanding striking, to be honest. He's shown, he's shown fairly one-dimensional, uh, low-output, high-impact striking. And he hasn't really shown any depth of skill. It's been Any fight that's been exciting has been a has been because of a lack of skill he has. And any fight that has been boring has been due to a lack of skill he has. I really don't know much about Darren Till, except that he's big, strong, long, and durable, and he likes to strike. Outside of that, I really don't know how good a grappler he is. I don't know how good a wrestler he is. I don't know what he does under duress because he hasn't shown anything, because he hasn't really been under duress. Even in, even in the fights have been competitive. It's been against guys who aren't high-caliber athletes and aren't high-caliber fighters. Being in a bad spot against a guy who you're physically superior than or class better than isn't the same as being in a bad spot against a guy who, who's your equal or your superior. So while he has the potential just because he's young, he's tough, and he's he, he still has room to grow, nothing he's shown me says he's elite. And, and, and I, this is coming from a guy who picked him over Woodson, Woodley. I, I just thought he had a better game plan, and he didn't. And since then, I haven't seen anything that tells me that this is the guy who's going to be a future champion or a dominant fighter in any division. Beating Kelvin Gastelum hasn't hasn't told me that at all. Okay, all right. Um, 
I want to move on from that fight because actually, no, before we do that, let's, let's talk about another aspect of what's going on with Darren Till. Cause it seems like he's goading Yoel Romero into a fight. And this is something that's interesting to me because, you know, he said he's been very candid about uh, being almost faking an injury before the walkout um, at UFC 244. And he also said that he wouldn't want to fight somebody like Yoel Romero, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like they are heading on a path to face off against each other, especially with Adesanya not having a true contender now because of Paulo Costa having the bicep surgery. What are your thoughts about a fight between Darren Till and Yuval uh, Romero? What are some of your initial thoughts about them two getting into the cage together? I just don't think it's a good matchup for Till. Till's not really good defensively. He seems fairly good offensively, but he's not very slick. He's not very technical. He gets by on being the fact that he can take a good shot, he gives a good shot, and he's long. Joe Romero is not a technically good striker, but he's very clever. He knows how to break rhythm. He knows how to cover distance. He knows how to maintain distance. He's got a lot of instinctive, natural fighting instincts that allow him to navigate the holes he has in his skill set and his skills technically. And then you place the fact that he's a world-class athlete with a world-class chin. Those little tricks he does, go from minor nuisances from a lower caliber athlete to a fight-changing or fight-ending technique from a guy with Yo Romero's skill set. So I just don't think it's a good matchup. I don't think Till's got a good enough defensive wrestling or grappling to keep Yo Romero off him if he wants the fight to go there. And I know Till's not defensively slick enough, nor does he have the defensive instincts to stay away from the shots that Yo Romero can put together. I really just think it's a bad matchup. It'll be exciting while it lasts. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine Till beating Yo Romero unless Yo Romero falls off a cliff athletically, or if um, that's pretty much it. I mean, Yo Romero's fought the better opposition. He's gone more rounds against world class opposition. He's stopped better people. He's beaten better people. He's won in more impressive ways. It it's really hard to find some some spot where Darren Till has any has any logical stance where he can beat. Um, Yo Romero outside of him being a kickboxer, and you can say, oh, he could out beat him on the feet. But who is who is Darren Till really looked impressive against uh, on the feet? Who is he ever just really outclassed? Where you're like, wow, man, this guy's dangerous. I don't want to stand with him. I, I've never seen that fight from Darren Till. Yeah, like that. I, I looking at the type of damage that Yo Romero has done to fighters, even what he did to Paulo Costa. I just don't think that that's the type of fight that Darren Till would really be able to survive. Uh, I think it is a definitely a dangerous aspect. And we haven't even talked about Yoel's wrestling, who where you know he can control that fight where it's positioned at any point in time. His wrestling is totally different than what we saw Darren Till be able to overcome from Kelvin Gastelum. It's totally different. And I don't think he keeps himself upright long enough to be able even, to do Even if he can defend him, once he starts defending or looking for the takedown, that opens up the striking because everybody knows once you're focused on staying on your feet, you give up a certain defensive responsibility and ability to counter because now you're afraid of, I've countered too hard. I load up on the shot and I counter, he's going to hit a reactive takedown. If I come forward too much, he's going to get a reactive takedown. If he mm-hmm. starts throwing and puts me up against the fence, is he going to use that as a transition into a clinch or into a shot? So once you have that fear, you, you, you're striking, half your striking game goes out the window. And Darren Till's striking game isn't deep enough or technical enough for half of it to go out the window, especially not, not the defensive half. So, like I said, 
you can always win a fight. I mean, there's ways you can win it, but when you look at it on paper and look at what they've done and the results they've done against durable, competent opposition, it's not even close. They've beaten, they fought two classes of opponents, they've beaten two classes of opponents, and they've done so in much different manners. Till's eked by some. Uh, when Romero's won, he's won fairly decisively, even against the best people he's fought, with the exception of Robert Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to another big fight where Stephen Thompson got a pretty clear win over Vicente Luque. And, I, and looking at this fight, I was wondering, I'm like, man, is this another one where this is more of an indictment on Luque and where he stands in the division? Or... Are we seeing a reemergence in Stephen Thompson? Is he just back to that Stephen Thompson that was setting the uh, lightweight, or excuse me, goodness, I keep doing that, setting the welterweight division on fire? What do we see here, and what do we make out of this big win? Well, my biggest thing with it is, I don't, I don't think we saw anything new from uh, from uh, Stephen Thompson. I mean. Stephen Thompson hasn't really changed what he does, nor has he shown a lot of variation in what he does since pretty much the day he's gotten in here. His defensive grappling's gotten a little better. His ability to defend takedowns has gotten a little better. Maybe his hands have gotten a little sharper. But as far as actually, actually him changing his style or making making adjustments in the strategy he takes in fighting, it hasn't changed. Stephen Thompson is essentially fighting the same way he's always fought, with the same general holes and the same general strengths in his skill set. He's able to manage distance. He's able to control distance with that side kick, with that lead leg. It allows him to control distance, disrupt guys' rhythm, and stay out of range where guys can't clinch him up or get him in the pocket where he's weak. He's still fairly weak in the pocket. His punches, he can throw individual punches. He doesn't throw combinations very well. And defensively, outside of controlling distance and using his lead leg and feints to control guys, He's not really hard to hit. If you can get him, if you can put your shots together, you, you, you can stay in front of him. That's, but that's always been the story on him. So I think the issue is Luque lacked the footwork and he lacked the depth of skills necessary to get to the spots he needed to get to against Wonderboy. Early on, he got to him. He was countering him, getting to his body a little bit, getting landing fairly clean. But once Thompson established the range and used that lead leg and that long lead hand to control the range, Luke didn't have. He ran out of ideas. He didn't know how to cut an angle to get on the inside. When he got inside, he didn't do anything and allowed Thompson to reset the distance and then beat him up all the way till he got to the spot he wanted. By the time he got to the spot he wanted, he, he didn't have anything left. So I can't, I can't say that Wonderboy showed me anything dynamic or new. All he did was he faced a guy who I thought his athleticism would be enough, but he he didn't have the finer skills necessary to put to put Wonderboy in the positions he needed to be to, to, to lose. And Luke wasn't able to fight off the back foot to draw Wonderboy in to land counters like Tyron Woodley did. He just kind of chased him and pressed, pressured him. He tried to pressure him, but he wasn't pressuring him. He was just chasing him. So while he's chasing Wonderboy, Wonderboy's chopping him away, beating him up, and then Wonderboy starts pushing him back. And once he's on his back foot being pushed back, he had no answers for Wonderboy. His best shot was to come out early, put something on him, and put him away. He didn't do that. Wonderboy made an, made an adjustment, and then Wonderboy just ran away with the fight because Luke had no idea how to manage distance, how to close distance, or how to stay in distance when he, once he got the distance he wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about uh, Kevin Lee and Corey Anderson. 
these two individuals picked up some huge, huge, huge wins on Saturday, defeating uh, two men that they were the underdog to. Kevin Lee defeated Gregor Gillespie, and Corey Anderson defeated uh, Johnny Walker. Both of them were stoppages within three minutes. I think uh, Johnny Walker got finished in like a minute and 45, and Gregor Gillespie got finished, I think, within like the 245, 247 mark. Uh, I'm going to compare these two guys. Which individual needed this type of win more, Kevin Lee or Corey Anderson? Kevin Lee needed the win. Kevin Lee hasn't proven that he's legitimately world-class. He he had this whole win streak built off of favorable matchups with guys who weren't as good of athletes as he was and weren't a caliber fighter he was. Every time he'd face anybody who was elite or near elite, he's gotten summarily defeated pretty Pretty obviously, Iaquinta beat him the two times. Ferguson beat him. Uh, Rafael Desanyo beat him. And I want to say they all finished him. So he needed to show that he could beat a guy who was his athletic equal or superior, a guy who had, who, who had shown himself to be closing in on elite, if not elite. He had to show that he could beat that guy and not beat him as a front runner, but be in a bad spot and show ability to make an adjustment and turn a fight around. He had never done that. Corey Anderson has been beaten before and shown that he can be consistent and shown that he can consistently perform against an ascending level of difficulty in opponents. Kevin Lee has never done that. As soon as he got to a certain caliber, he gets knocked right down. Corey Anderson has been consistently working his way up, knocking off guys who outclassed him in athleticism, outclassed him in striking, maybe were comfortable in wrestling. He's shown the growth. He's shown the development. Kevin Lee hadn't shown any of that. So Kevin Lee needed to show that when he gets put in a bad spot, when a fight gets tough, he's not going to front run and quit. He's going to make an adjustment and win. And I, that's what Sahabi did for him. He, he, he didn't necessarily add skills. He made the skills connected. So it's not just individual kicks and punches thrown together all hodgepodge. There was a structure. He had an actual answer to what Gillespie was doing. And secondly, and most importantly, Zahabi is big on maintaining control maintaining poise and fighting in a mature, responsible manner. And for once in his life, when put in a tough spot, Kevin Lee didn't force takedowns or just get involved in a mindless exchange. He actually had a goal he was trying to reach and worked from A to B to C to D to get to E to finish the fight. So Kevin Lee needed this fight. His, his resume and his performances show that he hasn't been the caliber of guy to win when he's needed to win in the toughest, toughest spot. So, I wrote a piece about this, about how Kevin Lee may be taking a path dangerously traveled back to the title picture. Because, you know, you saw he called out Islam Makashev for as his next fight. And Islam is another one of those guys that nobody wants to fight. He's one of these Dagestani um, competitors that are just like hell to try to deal with. If you look at the rest of the division, I think Kevin Lee was ranked number 11 when I wrote that piece, and Makashev was number 15. I'm sure there's been some adjustments since. No one above 5, 6 has any reason to fight Kevin Lee, so he has to turn and look behind him and beat some of the up-and-comers to push himself back up the ladder at at the same time. Do you think we're ever going to be in a place where Kevin Lee is challenging for a title not being an interim title or anything like that but where he's done enough and knocked off enough um up-and-comers that he can maybe get a favorable matchup against someone ranked highly to, to, to get to the title picture i don't think there's any favorable matchups anymore when you lose the way he's lost you're gonna have to consistently you're gonna have to 
consistently show people that you're not going to fold and you're you're not going to make mental errors when in a tough fight. Kevin Lee is going to have to win, in my estimate, he's going to have to win at least three fights before he can be legitimately considered a, a fighter in position to be elite. And you, you have to ask that question because the nature of his losses. Personally, I, I don't think lightweight's the best weight for him. I think he likes to stay there because of the weight advantage and strength advantage he has. I don't know that the cut's in his best interest. If he feels he can make it and Zahabi thinks he can, then I guess it's fine. I don't necessarily think it's in his best interest, though. But he's a long way off from the title fight. I mean, he he's lost his last two – prior to this, he was what? This he's one – Two he's and three. One, yeah, two and three. And, and he hasn't shown any ability to beat anybody anywhere near the league contender status. He's looked good in spots. But as soon as the fight makes an adjustment, he collapses. He collapses against Iaquinta. He collapses against Tony Ferguson. He collapses against Rafael Desanos. The simple fact of the matter is he needs more time with Zahabi to really lock in and execute the system he wants. You don't just pick, You might pick up some things, but you're not just going to pick those things up in one fight. It's going to take one fight, two fights, three fights for you to master it and perfect it so that any situation you're put into, you're responding the way he wants you to or you're attacking in the way he wants you to so you're not in those situations i don't think kevin lee should be in any rush to get to a title fight and i don't think anybody in the ufc is going to be pushing him towards a title fight he needs time to develop what he's doing and make sure that when he gets his next shot he can make the most of it i mean all kevin lee needs to do is fight yet another league guy and then get beaten again i mean let's face it he's he's only he's lost two of his last three this is his first win and he'd have to win at least another another fight just to be 500 in his last four fights. Mm-hmm. And just to get over it, he needs to win at least two more. So, I mean, as much as excited as I am and as impressive as this is, let's not get away from the fact that Kevin Lee has looked spectacular before. And then once you start raising the level of opposition, he tends to look less and less spectacular. So, uh, Corey Anderson is in an interesting situation where he is basically... I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to be one. He like he's going to have to do something to get um, a title shot. You hear the way Dana White talks about him, um, and he doesn't necessarily have too many good things to say about Corey. He has some good things to say, uh, eh, kind of good things to say about what he did on Saturday. Basically saying that you know that kind of put every that got everybody's a, a, attention, but. I think he's far off from even ever being in a title situation here. He'd have to be in a situation where Dominic Reyes gets hurt last minute and he's willing to step in. But what do you think this fight did for Corey Anderson? Is he someone that can gain that kind of trust and get a title shot out of this bout? Or is he just going to be the perpetual contender, the 205 uh, version of John Fitch? I just think it. Uh, the, well, John Fitch got a title fight. He just didn't get another one because he didn't win the one. He, he did, got. correct, 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 correct. When you're, it's like uh, the the Bernard Hawkins thing. When you're a guy who nobody wants to fight, and you're a guy who's got to win six fights for every two fights somebody else wins, then the fact of the matter is, eventually, if you keep winning, you are going to get your title fight. You're going to force their hand. Where they're going, you're going to have beaten enough guys where they've got to do something to get rid of you. Either get you a title shot or they're going to have to release you because you're knocking off too many young contenders. The question is, when you get your title shot, when you get your opportunity, will you be able to make the most of it? That's the problem. Bernard Hopkins, when he finally got his shot, he made sure he won. John Fitch, when he finally got his shot, he did not win. And because he wasn't, he, he's not an interesting champion, he's not charismatic, he doesn't really have an angle to push or looks or charm to sell, 
he was never in position to fight for a title again because of that. They didn't like him, and they weren't forced to deal with him because they didn't win. Tyron Woodley would have been in that situation had he not won the title against Robbie Lawler. They didn't want him to win. They didn't want him to win at all, but he won it, and he defended it, and he was, and they were forced to deal with Tyron Woodley. My, Damian Maia was a the guy they didn't want to win titles because he's not exciting. He's Brazilian. He's not exciting. So they're glad he didn't beat Tyron Woodley. They're glad Anderson Silva beat him. He was never able to win the big fight to put himself in position where they'd have to, have to deal with him. Corey Anderson... As much as they're shortchanging him, all these fights are giving him a chance to get some fan support behind him because he keeps on winning. It legitimizes when he finally gets his title shot. It will legitimize it because he's he's beaten an ascending level of opponent every single time. He's done so more impressively, and it also builds makes for a legitimate story because he's beaten so many legitimate guys and, and he's done so fairly dominantly. Maybe not dynamically, but he's done so dominantly. The problem is when he gets his shot. He has to win because he's going against the company, which means that if he doesn't win it, he's going all the way. In fact, he might as well just move a weight division because they ain't giving him no opportunity. So I believe he's going to get his title shot. He might not get it right away, but he's going to get his title shot. All he has to do is keep winning. I know that's not what he wants to hear. I know he's felt he's done enough, but tell me what fighter doesn't think they've done enough for a title shot. Who's the fighter who doesn't think they've done enough? They all think they've done enough. Mm-hmm. Macy Barber thinks she's done enough. She's got what? three wins in the division, and she thinks she deserves a title shot. Everybody thinks they deserve one. He actually does, and I think he'll get one. He just has to keep on winning, and he has to make sure when he gets that title title shot that he actually wins it because he will not get another. Good thoughts there. I actually agree with you there, that he is the type of individual that they won't want to give another title shot going forward. Um, Speaking of title shots, Caitlin Chukagian, Maybe the individual who gets a not next shot at um at what is her name Valentina Shevchenko. What do yes. you think about how she performed on Saturday? Is she is she a threat to Shevchenko's title, or is this a foregone conclusion? All the things I said about Caitlin Chukagan still stand. She like somebody's like they, I heard the show and you said this about her and that's not and you were wrong. I was like I didn't say she couldn't win the fight. I never said she couldn't win the fight. I thought that I thought that Maya was bigger, stronger, better athlete, hit hard. Harder and had more avenues to win the fight. I said Caitlin's movement, her variety of strikes, especially her kicks, enabled her to win the fight against anybody if she fights the right fight. But she is terribly inaccurate. Look at her. Look at her stats on the fight. She is she's Holly Holm inaccurate with her mm-hmm. with her strikes. She moves around a lot, but she's not great defensively. I've seen girls who who aren't great offensive fighters put hands on her. I've seen them take her down before. These are all facts. I like her. She's she she's gutsy. She's tough. She's high activity. She's creative with her strikes, especially her kicks, and she's willing to fight anybody, and she, she believes that she's the best. How can you not like somebody like that? But the things I'm pointing out about her, just because she won, doesn't make them less true. On the side of Maya, Maya didn't make weight, and I said that. I said if she doesn't make weight, there's a chance she checks out of the fight mentally and she loses. I believe that's what happened. I believe she didn't make weight. She knew she wasn't getting the title shot, and mentally she checked out. And on the second, second, second point, I believe her either she doesn't listen to her camp, which is what I've heard from people, or her camp is terrible because they fought Caitlin Chukagian in a way that they in a way that they in, in a way that made me think that they thought they were fighting Roxy Matafari. She stood in front of her and threw like little flurries or loaded up for big shots and never continuously kicked the legs, ne- never put combinations together, really didn't touch the body, wasn't trying to transition from strikes into takedowns. She just basically walked around after her and let Caitlin Chukagan throw kicks at the air and she ran into them. I mean, that's really the fight. 
She just stood in front of her, throwing a couple flurries, mostly single loaded up shots, and got picked apart by kicks and punches. She didn't make an adjustment. She didn't take angles. She didn't show any defensive awareness. She didn't go from body to head. She she didn't do anything consistently enough to have success by it. She gave Caitlin the fight she wanted. She was not creative. She was not deep in what she did. And she didn't push the pace. And Caitlin made her pay for it. Caitlin outworked her, used her variety of kicks, and used her movement, and essentially outstruck her and outhustled her. It was a terrible fight fight plan by Maya and a terrible execution. But Caitlin got the win. I have to give it to her. Even the fight against Jessica I, that was a close fight. It could have gone either way. I don't think she's a good matchup for Valentina because the same reason that Holly Holm was in a good matchup. They both rely heavily on volume to make up for a lack of accuracy and a lack of power. Neither one of them are big level power strikers. They're not. Holly Holm isn't. Caitlin Jukagan is even less so. They use volume to make up for that. They use the constant movement to wear opponents down and pick away at them so that late in the fight they can take over. That's not going to work against Valentina. She's a counter striker. And if you're going to come throwing strikes and throwing punches and coming in like that on her, she's going to find an answer to run you into a shot. What's worse now is she ties people up, uses reactive takedowns, whether it's trips, getting underhooks and suplexing people, body slam people. She's got a variety of takedowns, sweeps, trips that she used to take people down, a variety of strikes that open up into the takedowns, or she's got singular punches and kicks that she runs people into when they come. If Caitlin Shea is going to stand a distance and have a range kickboxing with Valentina Shevchenko, that's not going to work. Valentina Shevchenko is an actually better striker than her, not just athletically, but technically. If Caitlin's going to try and use volume and angles, that might work in spots. But while that's working, Caitlin's not a big hitter. So while she's landing these shots or getting them blocked, Valentina is downloading her timing, downloading the, the series and the sequence of shots, and lining up her counters. And what's worse, Valentina is actually used to fighting girls who are 135, 145. And she, she didn't get bullied by Holly Holm. She didn't really get bullied by anybody except Amanda Nunes, and that was only in spots. She can physically put the fight wherever she wanted to be put at. I know Caitlin trains with guys, but that doesn't hold as much weight in the actual fight. So I don't really see a line of victory for her. I don't think Caitlin hits hard enough. Defensively, I don't know if she's sound enough. I can't say she's a better striker than Valentina. I can't say she's a better athlete. I can't say she's physically stronger or more durable than Valentina. So somebody would have to explain to me where she wins this fight. I mean, I guess you could say she could take it down a submitter, but who is Caitlin Chukagan really ever taken take down and really out-wrestled? When has she ever really wanted to do that? And the thing yeah, is, she, really... she trains up there with um, John Danaher and that crew. So she has good grappling. And I think she's a brown belt now, I believe. So she it's, has solid grappling in that space. It's, it's not, I'm not saying that she doesn't have the actual skill. I don't know that how much confidence she has in her ability to apply it. Because you would think that if you have this skill where you're just this dynamic or this effective in it, you would think at some point you would take advantage of it and force fights in those range. And she doesn't. It seems like more she's trying, she'd use it to the, when she does take down to score points and to keep from being submitted and to control people more than really attempt submissions. And I've seen much better grapplers and much better wrestlers and much bigger, stronger fighters who've had a really hard time getting Valentina Shimchenko down and, t- and keeping Valentina Shimchenko down. I don't know that if Manda Nunes and Sarah Kaufman can do it. I'm not sure how likely it is that Caitlin Chukagan can do it because she hasn't really shown herself to be to have physicality or strength, even at this weight cut, even at lower weight class. She's still been bullied by girls. She's been bullied by lots of girls. Uh, 
Jessica I was able to hold her up against Fitz. Jessica I was able to get her off her. And Jessica I isn't the athlete or the striker that um, Valentina Shechenko is. I, I'm not saying this to downplay Shechenko. I think she's a really good fighter. I just think this isn't a style matchup that fits her. Like I said, there's a chance that she could outwork her and outhustle her because Kate, because uh, Valentina tends to look for the perfect counter. But the only way that's going to work with you out hustler means you've got to throw a lot, a lot, a lot of volume. And if you're telling me from round one to round five, Valentina is never going to land one clean kick or one clean shot, I don't believe that. I do not believe that. True, true. All right. So last thing from UFC 244, is there anything else on this card that stood out to you that's worth commenting on? There was quite a bit of action that went down. I think we've covered a lot of it. But is there anything else that stood out to you? Uh, I think they should maybe Brad Tavares might need to call it a day or he might need to go to a smaller league because at this point he's just being used as a name to give guys highlight real wins. And it's like the last three or four fights he's had, it's been these devastating losses. And I don't think the UFC is doing any favors. I don't think his camp is doing any favors. And either he's just getting really bad matchups that are, that are costing him or he's really over the hill and taking a step back and he needs to fight lesser opposition or he needs to stop fighting altogether. Because some of these losses are getting getting real, real ugly, really one-sided. It's not even competitive at this stage anymore, which means he might, he might, he he just might not have enough to compete at this level anymore. Good, good, good. So uh, well, let's one talk more thing. About, I feel bad for Roxy Matafari, who has lost like two or two of her last three fights to people who did not make weight. It has got to be frustrating for her to see these people getting in title contention and making money and costing her money when they didn't have the professionalism or dignity to make the way they need to make. And they don't want to move up because it takes away their physical advantage. So they're, the UFC allows them to fight at these catchweights because fighters need to get paid. And it, it essentially single-handedly ruined her career. I mean, she's had two. He, Roxy Matafari, she's Does had a big loss. To, no, but she, she oh. lost to Maya when Maya didn't make weight. Mm-hmm. And then she lost to Sajar Eubanks before that. Out of her last three fights, she lost two of them to people who did not make weight and then went on the bigger fight. And it's got to be frustrating for her to see this person one step from a title shot, even though she, again, did not make weight and push Roxy further away from a title because of that. Just something, Very just true. a side note to it. And she's made it adamant that she's not moving up in a weight class either. So it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what's she next She has the skills to move in weight class. She, she, she likes that physical advantage she has, and she's trying to ride it out as long as possible. But... I don't know if they're gonna, she's going to have the option. She misses weight again. She may not have a choice. True. Good point there. Uh, let's talk about UFC Moscow, which is this weekend. And we have only really two fights that stood out to me that are worth talking about. And the first one is the beat Maga. Maga I, can't, I can't look at his name anymore. Um, but I can say it if I see it. But Zabit is fighting Calvin Cater in the main event. This is a 145-pound affair here, and I've seen some interesting commentary. I think I shared some with you today on Twitter about who we should be watching closely in this fight. What are your thoughts about this battle here, and who do you see coming out on top? Is this a foregone conclusion for us to beat, which is kind of how it's being... Oops. That. Is this a foregone conclusion for us to beat as how it's being pushed, or... Should we be paying closer attention to um, Calvin uh, on Saturday? I think I think it's clear that Sabi's being pushed. Sabi's being pushed is this guy who's this technician. He's another foreign fighter. Now we have the reputation of the 
the myth of the foreign fighters, how they're unstoppable. They're such superior technicians. They're machines. They're so dynamic, and they're coming to take over the UFC. That's he's he's getting fit along into that category. Bellator started pushing guys like that. The UFC started pushing guys like that. And Zabit, being a foreign fighter who's fought in the uh, ACB. They're using that as, to build his myth that he's this technically superior, physically superior machine that can't be stopped by lesser fighters. The fact of the matter is, Zabit's a good fighter, not great as far as technique, but because he's fairly good at transitioning between these ranges, or at least he looks like it, it makes him seem a lot better than he is. He can do some dynamic things, and a lot of times people mistake dynamic ability for actual technical, technical ability. Just like you see a guy with 15 knockouts, he must be a great striker. Not necessarily. He might just be a great athlete, and these guys he's facing aren't athletic enough or durable enough to stand up to whatever he's doing. It doesn't mean he's actually good. It just means he's capable of knocking people out. So beats a guy who, who has good striking skills, but the dynamic aspect of it, the spinning stuff, the kicks, the kind of creativity and dynamic explosiveness of it makes people think that he's better than he is because he can do these things. But the fact, the thing that people often miss out on is that when he starts doing these things is when he runs out of ideas. When plan A isn't working, he doesn't have a plan B that opens doors that can it can finish a guy or, or keep him in control or a plan B that can force you back to his plan A or open up other doors for his plan A to make it more effective. He runs out of ideas, and when he runs out of ideas, he starts throwing spinning back fists, spinning kicks, jumping kicks, jumping knees, not because he sees an opening, but because he doesn't have any other idea how to how to manage a fight or control a fight without throwing something. He 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 doesn't have any sense of how to control it through just positioning, body positioning, feints, and timing. He's got to throw something to create these openings or to take advantage of things, whether there's an opening or not. And that's the biggest problem I have with beat. He doesn't he doesn't know how to create openings. There's not enough structure to go from A to E. It's it's not A, B, C, D, E. It's A, D, C, B, E. He's all over the place. It's not, it's not very structured. He, he relies heavily on his attributes, in, in my opinion. And I personally don't think he's physical or durable enough to beat the elite guys. I've never thought that. I believe if he gets to them before they get to him, he might win. If those guys have any sense of durability or conditioning, eventually he, he might take a round or two off you. But against the elite guys... I believe he gets finished against every single one of them. Um, the guy who's Volkanovski, Holloway, Ortega, all those type of guys, I believe they walk, they pull away from a guy like that because they have the athletic ability to match him or not be overwhelmed. And they have enough of a developed identity as a fighter to go from plan A to plan B to plan Z back to plan A. They have a structure they can go up and down that provides them legitimate answers to what he's doing. I don't believe he has that. I believe he's working on it, but I don't believe it's established enough that under duress against a guy he can't have his way with that he can effectively get get out of bad spots or keep from being in bad spots. He's just not nearly as gifted as he thinks he is physically, and I don't believe that his skill set, whether striking, grappling, or wrestling, are good enough where he can just dominate the elite-level athletes. So, looking at this fight here, because I don't hear a whole lot about Calvin Cater coming into this fight. I've seen him fight a couple times, but a lot of people were very impressed. But you don't see a lot of talk about how he's looking coming into this fight here. Uh, they do don't want see? him to win. What, they, type, they of, don't what type of prediction do you have for Saturday's main event? 
they don't they don't want Cater to win. Cater is a young guy. He's been exciting. Cater wasn't supposed to beat Ricardo Lamas. They didn't give Ricardo Lamas that fight because they thought he'd lose it. They thought he he'd be able to strike into strike into the wrestling exchanges, get Cater down, and win a decision or submit him. That's Ricardo Lamas has made a career out of beating better strikers, better, more athletic strikers or fighters, outsmarting them, making adjustments, getting them down and, and pounding them out to decisions or getting them down and finishing them. That, that's been the extent of his career. They're not expecting Cater to win this. That's why they've been pushing Zabit. Cater is the most athletic guy Zabit's face, in my opinion. Maybe maybe one other guy he's face is a little bit more athletic. But in my opinion, he's the most skilled guy, especially in, the, in regards to the, uh, the striking. The problem... The cater's going to have is the beat has his wrestling to fall back on, and that's always going to be an extra layer of defense and an extra layer of offense. So, the way I see the fight is going this I'm thinking the cater's going to be able to win, but cater's going to have to use his footwork and he's going to have to use his feints and he's going to have to counter heavily and hard to the body and to the head to the beat because the beat's he's not very good at defending kicks. The beat's very rangy, he's very athletic, he's kind of creative with his kicks. So Cater's not going to have the luxury of just dancing around. And if he's going to dance around and sit in his boxing stance and, and really throw, he's going to have to throw. He can't be hesitant. He can't be picking away. He can't be pot shotting. He's got to make sure he's throwing for power, throwing for damage, and throwing in combination to keep the beat off him, to keep him defensively aware of what's coming back at him, and to punish him for any offensive overture he makes towards him. The biggest question he has is can he take defend takedowns if the beat starts chaining them together? I don't believe he can. I believe the only way he can defend takedowns is those initial shots, those platonic shots before he gets in deep, where he can sprawl out, pancake him, spin out, or stuff the shot, use his footwork, take an angle, and escape. I don't believe he can get into a grappling, extended grappling or wrestling exchange and win against the beat. I believe he needs to use his footwork, his feints, to throw off Sabit's rhythm, to mess with the distance, and look to counter heavily off of every kick, initially to the body, and then eventually to the head. And that's what's going to get him decision, or preferably, I'm thinking he might get a stoppage halfway through the fight. Uh, I think Sabit's very capable of finishing Cater, because his, his, his takedown defense isn't really proven, his groundwork isn't really proven, but I think between his footwork, his counters, and his accuracy of his shots and his movement... I think it's going to be really hard for Zabit to get him to the spots he needs to get him to to get the takedowns or stay, stay in a control position long enough to get the takedowns he needs to get into without paying a very high price. And I don't have very much faith in Zabit's chin or his cardio when he's not able to have his way and dictate things. Interesting thoughts there, man, because I'm I'm really intrigued in this fight just because a lot of people are looking at Zabit to go in here and get himself a statement win. If he does get that statement win, do you think he's next in line for the winner of Holloway Volkanovski? Um, Zabit? Yes. Um, yeah, they've been trying to push him, so I definitely think he'd be he'd be next in line. There's not really anybody available. Ortega hasn't fought in how long? Cub Swanson? That's not happening. Um, I think doesn't have, doesn't Ortega have a fight booked? Yeah, but he he's not he's not. Next up for a title fight, he's far away from it. Unless unless Holloway loses the belt, I think what's going to happen is most likely if he if he beats Cater, there's a good chance they put him in against um, Yair Rodriguez because they were supposed to fight before, and whoever wins that fight gets the title fight. I believe each one of them each one of them needs one more fight. If Zabit beats Cater, that's one legitimate win over a skilled, fairly athletic, proven guy. 
he beats Yair. That's two wins. Those will be the two best wins of his career. Yair beat, Yair beat Jeremy Stevens, which would still be considered probably the second best win of his career. If he beats Zabit, that'd be like, really, it still would, it's still, Jeremy Stevens would still be the second best win. Zabit would be the third. But that'd be three legitimate wins, three high-ranking wins all in a row, which would catapult Yair to the title shot. Zabit, if he beats Cater and then beats Yair, that'd be two big wins in a row, which should essentially catapult him to a title shot either way. So, um, yeah, if who if, if he wins this fight, I I feel the UFC is gonna make Yair versus a beat. Okay, all right, and let's talk about Greg Hardy. He's in the co-main event up against Alexander Vol- uh, Volkov, and yeah, Volkov should win this fight. He's more experienced. He's more technical. He knows how to get the job done. But to say that Greg Hardy. Uh, doesn't have a puncher's chance. That's another conversation on. Uh, that, that's another conversation within it of itself. What are your thoughts about this fight here? And are should we uh, should we put ourselves in a position to be quote unquote surprised? It's not. It's not a matter of does he have a chance. It's not a matter of the mat. The question is, how does Greg Hardy respond when he's tired and taking abuse? We've seen him when he's winning. We've seen him when he's not able to blow guys out. He doesn't look particularly stand out. He doesn't look particularly courageous. He doesn't look particularly tough. Volkov is a good enough athlete and a balanced enough fighter and good enough striker that he should, in theory, be able to put Greg Hardy in some spots where he's not comfortable with. So we're going to have for Greg Hardy to have a chance to win, he's most likely going to have to show some heart, show some grit that he really hasn't shown in 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 his two or three fights in UFC when he hasn't been able to clearly dominate somebody. He hasn't looked nearly as fearsome. He hasn't looked nearly as devastating. He hasn't looked nearly as dynamic as he has when he's been able to knock somebody out with one or two shots and versus Volkov. He's going to have to work. He should in theory have to work harder to land shots, work harder to get in position and take a hell of a lot more punishment than he's ever taken in his life. The thing that makes this fight interesting is that if all things are equal, from what I know about Greg Hardy right now, he's a more athletic, more explosive, more dynamic, but so far seems to be a little bit mentally, not as mentally tough, nor as physically tough as a Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis's whole whole avenue in his fights is he gets beat up, he gets beat up, he lands a dynamic bomb, some big shot out of nowhere, and that essentially turns a fight. In theory, Greg Hardy should be able to do that. He's a more explosive guy, he's a better athlete, he's more agile. The question is, can he defend positions? Can he stay away from the key strikes long enough to get to the position he needs to to do the work he needs to? I don't believe he can. As poorly skilled as I think Derek Lewis has shown himself to be, he's at least got rounds against world-class opposition. True, it's heavyweights, but it's still world-class opposition, and he's shown enough skill to not be submitted, to not be pounded out, to not be routinely controlled by anybody but the very best guys in division. Greg Hardy's been struggling with guys who aren't even UFC level. And as dynamic as he is, he hasn't shown that devastating one-punch knockout power against anybody who's got a legitimate record or who's been who's won legitimate fights. So while that last-second Hail Mary dynamic athletic knockout should be there in theory, Nothing, Dan, nothing uh, Greg Hardy showed us in his past three or four fights has told us that he's going to land that 
against regional type heavyweights, much less a world class one. So, I mean, I just really feel like we're going to be in a in a situation where we get hit with a bad, bad, bad surprise, and everyone's just going to have to sit back and just like just oh, just have to deal with this situation. And if he wins. He's, I think he's getting either Nganu or Derek Lewis next, and then they're going to try to put him in a position for a title shot. But no one wants this, and there's so many different problematic. Did you see his comments about uh, Derek Lewis today, saying that Derek Lewis is a felon and shouldn't be able to talk about him? Like it's this is a bad look for everyone involved, and um, it's, not, yeah, it's, we a, just, it's a bad look. It's a bad look for the UFC. They're they created this, they've empowered this, and once again, I. I'm kind of, I don't really even have an opinion on it anymore because I find the lack of consistency with people. Like, if you're going to be this outraged, and be, and I'm not saying anybody's fake with the outrage, but if you're going to be this outraged, you're just so disgusted and you want to talk so strongly about this man, it's weird to me because I don't think anybody would have that energy if he was in the same room with them. And I've, my dad's always been told me about I mean, consistency. That, like, like that, that, I mean, yeah, because he can assault you. That's why. Like, that's what, and, and people may I have mean, that like, same like energy, if, if somebody, but he can if somebody assault assaulted, you. If somebody assaulted like somebody you cared about and they were in the same room, even if they could beat you up, you would still say what you had to say. Like that's what separates that's what separates the people who who make those stands where you want to talk about a Colin Calvary. That's why even people who are bigots or racist or misogynists, when they, they're obviously and openly about it, do I respect their opinion? No, but I respect the fact that you're saying something that could get you assaulted or turn everybody against you and you're just saying it because it's what you believe. You don't get uh, totally you just don't different. care. That's totally like, that's a totally different comparison. It, it is it, a totally different. It is totally different. But I like I try to like when people say you're very harsh on fighters, Shawan. I've talked to a lot of fighters in person. I've said this to people's faces before. Some people, hey, let's put the gear on. Let me beat your. Okay, fine. We got to do. We got to do it. But I'm not going to adjust what I'm saying because this person's here. I, I'm just not going to. And it, it bothers me that so many people are so loud and so he's a coward. He's a punk. He's this. I'm like, dude, I don't. I just don't come from a situation where you talk like people like that unless you're willing to say that to that person. And if you, you don't approve of it, just say, I don't approve of it. I don't agree with it. I don't respect what he's doing because then you could repeat that to his face and there's not a problem. But this whole this, 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 that, 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 I, I've never been a fan of it. I just never have. I understand people's outrage, but you're either outraged or you're not. You, you can't be outraged part of the time and then be change your outrage because now he's right there. You, you're outraged, you're outraged. Something's wrong is something wrong. You know, if you don't want feel comfortable saying what you have to say, say it in a, in a way that you can say it without coming off confrontational. I, I don't, I don't know. That just bothers me. It just, it just bothers me. It's, it's an interesting they, situation because, um, like, there's, the, there are so many different issues with with this whole matter here. Um, like the so, the first piece is the fact that the facts behind the matter are that he was convicted of sexual assault. Or he he was convicted of uh, of an assault, and it was overturned because the woman that he assaulted did not come to court, so it was thrown out for whatever reasons that she did not show up. So there's that fact. The other fact on top of that is that that the UFC talks about it in a way like they've actively said that this man was not convicted. That is not true. He was convicted, and this is being posed as him. Uh, what's the word? Um, as a it's like, he's, rebuild- being, he's, he's, like he's the victim. Like, Correct. you're not giving him a chance. He's not the victim. Correct. So there's that situation, too, on top of that. Then they continuously book him on fight cards where there's women who are survivors of domestic violence. 
there's that too as well because the they do that on purpose. But they do that on purpose because they're okay with it. They're still fighting on the car. If they're not mad at it, why are you? But it's because they don't have a choice. And then on top of all that, and then on top of all that, he's talking about um, Derek Lewis, who was charged with assault, saying that he's a a, a, a felon. Derek Lewis went to jail because he beat up a clan member that threatened him with the shotgun when he was when he was like seventeen. So that's a hundred and ten percent different than what um, Greg Hardy was convicted of. So there's like the the gall of him to even say that statement is is immeasurable. And so when you I look at all those things, it's just like it's, this is just a dirty situation that I understand why people don't want anything to do with it. And it's it's, an, it's just yet another matter within the UFC that could be much worse for them if it was covered in the right way. But it's not going yeah, to be covered. It's true, but it's in, not going to be covered that way. In in other sports, people are willing to bite the bullet to to make their stand, to make their point. In mixed martial arts, Luke Thomas said it before, people aren't willing to make stands because they want access. If I tick this person off, maybe ATT fighters won't interview with me. If I tick this person off, Dayton White's going to pull my credentials. Everybody's more, everybody who's got such disgust and such hate towards this man and, and hate towards the situation is not willing to wit, not willing to put their money where their mouth is. They're not willing to get their credentials pulled permanently to say what they have to say. So I'm like, how strongly can you feel about it? I get it. You 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 have to take care of your family, you have to take care of everything. But if you really feel that strongly, then you have to draw a line in the sand. And if you don't, then you have to find a better way to express what you're feeling because you 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 have a you have a choice. You have an option in how you handle it. And people are choosing to handle it a certain kind of way. I don't agree with the UFC is doing. I don't agree with it at all. They keep saying he's got a second chance. I don't remember that he was ever really punished for this to be a second chance. And he's it is had like three or four chances. It's concerning to me how many people are so quick to sweep this underneath the rug. I'm all for you move past things, you get past things, you grow on to be a better person. I just haven't seen any contriteness in him. I haven't seen any forgiveness it's like in fact it seems like he's challenging people like you want to see me cry i'm not going to cry i'm not built like that you know it's just it's a very weird situation and i don't see how dana white explains this but to be honest he never has to he just makes an off-cuff comment then he sticks his twitter fans on you and that's it he doesn't really have to answer these questions greg hardy doesn't really have to answer any questions att doesn't have to really answer any questions and i'm not judging them either they're doing what they feel is best that's their choice that's up to them but if we're going to give heat to the UFC and give heat to Greg Hardy, don't we have to give give heat to the camp that's building it, allowing him to have his career? I mean, yeah, like there's that question as as well too. So then, you know. beyond that, um, do you think he is if if he pulls off a win somehow? Do you think he is on the path for um, a title shot? I've always said a guy, everybody keeps on talking about the great athletes in the UFC. You haven't seen a great athlete until you've seen a world-class, great, non-combat sports athlete. That's where the best, I mean, we have a bunch of 250-pound guys who aren't very quick and agile because they play football or basketball. So we haven't seen the kind of athleticism that Greg Hardy has. And Greg Hardy is actually on the decline. He's not in his prime anymore. But um, if he could ever develop a, some sort of a competence and skill set and get some seasoning, I really believe he could be a threat. Not because he's so tough or he's so skilled, but just get enough of a functional skill and a system and approach to fighting that maximizes his athleticism. Because when you see Greg Hardy fight, 
even though he's a regional heavyweight at best, it's clear that he's one of the best athletes in the UFC right now. You just watch him move, and it's, it's very clear. He doesn't seem to have the cardio for it. He doesn't seem to have the skill to back it up. But just based off athleticism, he's a threat to anybody. I just don't know if there's enough time to get him to be a viable title challenger. Now, if he gets a couple wins, they could put him in a title fight. I just don't know that he can win because he hasn't seemed to be able to do anything past the round and a half. And, I, and he has no defense. I don't know what he's like on the ground. There's just so many questions. But they could move him into a title fight if he wins enough fights. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I think they're taking this fight because it's an all-or-nothing risk. He beats Volkov. He's, a, he's officially a top-five heavyweight. It doesn't take much to be a top-five heavyweight. And then he's a fight or two away from a title shot or a shot against somebody like Derek Lewis. They'd probably make that fight. That'd probably be the next fight for him. Derek yeah, Lewis I think they, ha- like, they, they would have to do a fight with Derek Lewis. Like that, yeah, like Derek that's Lewis. Money. That's 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 a dangerous fight, but it's also a winnable fight given how mm-hmm. Derek Lewis fights. So if he could beat Volkov and Derek Lewis, how do you not give him a title fight? Derek Lewis challenged for a heavyweight title less than a year ago. So he beat a he beat two guys who were one guy who was a step away from a title shot, one guy who got one, and he beat him. If he beats them both, it's gonna be hard not to give him a title fight. I mean, seriously speaking, how how could you deny him one? Yeah, how I just don't think he's good one? enough. I think he's got the athleticism. I just don't. I don't know what he's good enough at. To beat any heavyweight who's really a threat at heavyweight. Stipe Miocic, how does he beat him? Even Francis Ngannou, how does he really beat him? I don't That's know. A good point there. That's a good point. Let's um let's also talk about I want to move on to Bellator. Bellator two thirty three, which is on uh Friday? Friday. Is there anything on this card that stands out to you? King Mo's retirement fight. He's 21-9. Um, he's stepping into the cage for the last time. Leslie Smith is on his card. John Salter, I'm a, I'm a kind of a fan of, of him. He's pretty interesting to me. And, and Logan Storley is also fighting as well. So um, Jordan Young, he's also another undefeated prospect. Is there anything on this card that stands out to you that's worth really kind of commenting on? Uh, the biggest thing I was, the biggest thing that I was, um, you know, looking forward to is seeing the, the last fight for King Mo. As you know, people know he's a good friend of mine. You know, kind of got me into the whole aspect of uh, you know, helping fighters, trying to come up with game plans and stuff. So he's the first what guy. Let me... What's that sound in the background, man? You got to get away from that. Uh, it's one of my kids chopping ice in the freezer. Let me move. Um, okay. Yeah, Go ahead. he was one of the guys who got. Okay. He's one of the guys who got me my start into mixed martial arts. Like as far as like not actually training, but helping fighters. And he was one of my biggest proponents like even now he's still trying to get me to move to florida so i can start coaching guys like he's always texting me about that that was the biggest thing just to see hopefully he go out he goes out under on a win because uh he's a fighter who i don't think people are really going to appreciate how good he was or how much he overcame in his fights win or lose like there were some times where i knew about serious injuries yeah like serious 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 injuries he's going into fights not even not even 60 percent not even 55 percent going into fights and Maybe not winning, but competing against guys who are the best in his weight division. And, you know, me being friends with him, I'm not going to say anything about it. And he doesn't want people making excuses for him. I mean, I know the real reason he couldn't he couldn't get that takedown. I know the reason his hands were a little bit slow, but, you know, he doesn't like making excuses. He just, I fight, I win, I lose, I go about my business. And so um, it sucked the past couple of years watching him not be able to be at 100% and do the things that I know he's capable of doing. So it, the biggest thing for me is um, just seeing him go out on a win, hopefully, and uh Maybe in retirement, he'll get some of the, that respect and appreciation that people didn't really ever give him, you know, even after his Risen win. 
making the two Bellator finals. He was a strike force champion. Like people just never seemed to warm up to him or respect what he did or appreciate the skills that he's shown. And, and he's, he's a real stand-up dude. Like he helps people money. He helps people training. He's just a real stand-up guy. And, uh, I, I kind of feel bad that people will never get to know the King Mo that I know. I can tell people about him, but people will never get to know the King Mo that I know. And, and it sucks that he's never going to get his just his props for what he's done because he's he's had a very good career. By all measures, he's had a really good career as a mixed martial artist. And uh, he's just he's probably just never going to get it because he refused to play the game the way it should be played or the way other people play it. And I respect him for that, but it just sucks because I think he deserves better from the mixed martial arts media the fans and, and the fighters themselves. What is King Mo's legacy seeing how he's never competed in the UFC? He's competed just about everywhere else. I mean, literally everywhere else where the, the industry allows. So looking at his, um, you know, he's held titles, he's lost title fights, he's been upset, he's done a, a upsetting. I mean, he has that big win over Gegard Mousasi years ago. Or the, or the win of the Riz tournament. Nobody expected him to win that one. Yeah, that too. Like, what is his legacy as a, as a fighter? Um, probably somebody who they never got to see in the UFC. So people are always going to kind of question where he's at. He was always considered because the UFC's lightweight division, light heavyweight division was never great. He was always considered a top 10 light heavyweight. At one point, he's probably considered one of like a top five light heavyweight. So, um, he's going to be a guy who, who people, he's going to be considered a good fighter who was never considered great because he was never able to face his contemporaries or in most people's opinion, he never, he was never able to win the big fight when it was needed you know the first loss against rampage which i didn't think he lost that fight the fight against phil davis um the ryan bader fight people are going to point to those as examples that he was never really elite because when facing guys from the ufc he didn't he didn't win enough time for for them to be considered elite but um in my opinion it at points in his career he was he was elite and at some point could have made an argument that he was the best light heavyweight in the world at one point and he was always for the large part of his career Probably in the probably in top ten, if not top seven, if you just look at what he's accomplished. But the main thing he's going to be known for is the fact that he was he fought over multiple weight classes and he fought whoever there he there would be to fight. He's fought a who's who of guys at heavyweight and light heavyweight. He's never shied away from a challenge. He's never been unwilling to fight in any organization, whether it's in America or Japan or other countries. He's fought all over the globe, and uh, I think he's going to be known as an old school fighter who took on every challenge available and and fought the best of the best throughout his career. He won some, he lost some, but he was always willing to fight the best people available at any given time, regardless of what it might do to him financially or what it, the risk it might take in fighting somebody. He was always one of the best guys. He won at Ryan Bader in the heavyweight matchup. He won at Phil Davis when Phil Davis was on the win streak. He won at these guys because he wanted to prove that he was the best and he wanted people to acknowledge that he was the best. So that that kind of that push and that desire to be the best and that willingness to take fights anywhere, anytime against anyone. Donald Cerrone gets a lot of respect for that. People don't give King Mo that same respect for doing the very same thing that Donald Cerrone's done for years. And he's always been willing to do that. And people just never respect it because they don't know what he's gone through. And just one side note, uh, I always tell people this about King Mo. This is how good a dude he is. Cause you know, when he's over in Japan, he asked me to write up these breakdowns, of these guys in between fights, he's texting me, like what's happening me? Like, which I do in this fight, which I do in that fight. I mean, he knows what to do, but he's just looking for an outside opinion. He respects mine. So, like, I fall asleep, right? And I, I was pretty sh- – I, I fell asleep. I was staying up to, to win that – to find who won the Risen tournament, but I fell asleep, wake up in the morning, 
you know, I get these messages from Kimbo and it's like, he did it, he did it, won all this other stuff. And then he made this video on YouTube where he's talking about the people who helped him get ready for the fight. And he mentions, he's like, my friend, my boy, Shawan from San Antonio. That's how I used to be known on Sure Dog when I used to call in. And it was crazy to me because it's like, it's the first time I'd help somebody and they actually like acknowledge me, acknowledge me. Like I sent it to my mom, sent it to like everybody. People were like, oh my God, Kingmo shouted you out and everything. And so then later in that day, Kingmo contacted me and he was like, I was like, hell man, congratulations on the win. You did a great job. And this is how good a dude he is. He didn't say, he goes, no, no, no. Don't, don't congratulate me on the win. Congratulate us. We won this title. We did this together. And I appreciate all your help. And I feel like I helped him, but he didn't have to say that, dude. He's like, at that time, he's a world-class fighter. Top 10, top 7, top 5 light heavyweight. He just won one of the biggest tournaments where nobody bet, bet on him at all. He beat young up-and-comers. And in his big moment, he's bigging me up and putting my name out there and talking about me on other shows. And telling me how much he appreciates my help and how he couldn't do it without me. I don't know if that's true or not, but he didn't have to say that. And that's the kind of guy he is. And people will never know how hard he fought through all these injuries to make sure he put on the show and competed against the best guys in the world. Never being 100%. I'm not talking about close to 100%. I'm talking about probably should not be fighting, but still got in there and did what he had to do because that's the kind of guy he is. He's like he's he's into boxing. He's like an old school boxer. You just tell me where, let me put my gloves on, we're going to see what's up. And that's what he's always done. And I hope guy, people remember him as a guy who fought anybody who wanted to fight him. Big name, little name, small name, elite fighter, lower class fighter. Whoever wanted it with King Mo, got it with King Mo. It was never an issue with King Mo. And I hope people respect that about him. True, true. That's a pretty touching story there, man. That's a pretty um, in-depth look at the way, you know, even someone who is just... Uh, uh, you know, I want to say a fan, but someone who is an outside observer can have an impact on these fighters, which is one thing that makes MMA much more uh, personable than other sports is that, you know, LeBron wouldn't LeBron wouldn't reach out and, and have that conversation with a, a, a fan. You know, Bryce Harper wouldn't have that conversation with a fan. But when it comes to MMA, these guys are more frequently available to kind of have these conversations and more open to it. It's like, you know, like Gerald Harris, he, he and I go back and forth quite often on on Twitter. So yeah, it is it is a space where it's much more open to those types of, of conversations. Yeah, one last thing, Kingmo has a great memory because we used to go back and forth. Like we that's how we met. We are watching Baxton Boston fight and I was breaking it down. He's like, this dude's about to get finished. And I was like, nah, this dude's about to knock this dude out. So he knocks him out and I'm just, you know, berating him on Twitter, like I got you, whatever. And years ago he told me Justin Gaethje would get cleaned up by Dustin Poirier. I was like, there's no way Gaethje's walking straight through him. As soon as Gaethje knocks out Poirier you know, my phone's blowing up. Which, what did I tell you all those years ago? Did I tell you he was going to get... Like, yeah, man, you told me, all right? Good, glad, glad to hear it. And every time somebody he knew, he told me we'll win a fight, lost it, I'm on, I'm on King Mo's ass. Like, what did you say, dude? You're supposed to be a fighter. You're supposed to know this stuff. Man. I'm just a fan, dude. How am I making better picks than an actual fighter? It, he's just a great dude, great dude. My kids love him, too. They talk to him all the time. They love him to death. That's what's up, man. That's good stuff to hear there, uh, sir. Um, I wanted to touch on the uh, Canelo and Kovalev fight on Saturday. What were some of your thoughts there? It was a good fight. Um, unfortunately, it seems like Canelo's turning into Mayweather. He's picking tough matchups, but he's picking them at a time where they're not as difficult as they might have been a year or two ago. Kovalev had just, like less, less than six months ago, had a vicious beating put on him by a guy um, in, a, in, a, in a title offense. Before that, he had he had a comeback win over a guy who had knocked him out about a year ago. Kovalev hadn't looked as intimidating or dangerous or durable 
as he had been early in his career. So when Canelo picked this fight, less than six months after he took a huge, tremendous beating, it was for a reason. He saw some chinks in Kovalev's armor. He saw that he was slowing down. He saw they didn't have as much faith in his durability anymore. I'm going to go after this guy. Now, it was still a dangerous fight. Kovalev can still punch. Kovalev can box. But it was a fight that Canelo picked because it wasn't as big a threat as any other option at the light heavyweight division. So he wanted kind of a, I don't want to say a sure thing because there's never a sure thing in a fight, but the closest thing to a sure thing in a fight when he picked that fight with, uh, with uh, Kovalev. And it was a good fight. Uh, actually, if he did not Kovalev out, he, Kovalev probably would have won the fight, but been, been robbed by decision, to be quite honest. The fact that Canelo closed the fight out by knocking him out is what allowed us to get over the fact that Kovalev was most likely going to be robbed. It was a close fight, but Kovalev was sticking the jab, moving, not allowing Canelo to put exchanges, combinations together. And, he, and in my opinion, he was outpointing him. He, he would have had an argument for a win. There was no way he was going to get the decision, of course. But, Koval, but Canelo took all the out of the judges' hands by finishing him and get probably one of the best knockouts I've seen in the past five to ten years. That was, that was quite a knockout, and I did not expect that. I expected Canelo to get him to the body and maybe finish him that way. I didn't expect him to land that clean and put him away like that. Kovalev looked done. I mean, like... There was a good chance I, I thought he might have been severely hurt. When he actually got back to his feet and spoke after the fight, I was shocked because I, I thought he was out. I thought he was going to have to go directly to the hospital the way he fell up against those ropes. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a hell of a finish, uh, and, I, and I was actually kind of surprised that it went down that way. Uh, we have a question from a listener that actually kind of ties into the Kovalev fight here. Is this a was this fight a crossover moment for MMA and boxing? We saw all the videos of people watching Diaz and Masvidal as they were waiting for the main event for um, Canelo and uh, Kovalev. Do you think this was a crossover moment, or is it just like a a, a distraction that um, boxing fans were kind of forced to watch as the uh, as they waited for the main event? If this is a crossover moment, then Matt Hughes watching the Floyd Mayweather fight when the tough finale is going on is a crossover moment. It it is crossover just for the fact that I've never heard of a boxing, I've never heard of another sporting event pushing their event back to avoid competition with another event. You know, Canelo's like he's supposed to be the cash cow. He's supposed to be one of the biggest, most well-known sport combat sports athletes in the world. And he's putting off a record-breaking title fight because a fake title fight in the UFC is going on. It it seems a little weird. It, it almost seems like you would think boxing is conceding to the mixed martial arts that that because they're holding their main event back. The only difference is um, this is the zone. And they're holding a subscriptions, and they want to get as many subscriptions and as many people watching it as possible. So my only thought process is they're thinking, instead of us going against the UFC and losing out on some viewers, let's let that fight in, and then we'll put our fight on after so that we can maximize the eyes watching, the, watching this. Because their whole thing is, like Netflix or Hulu or ESPN, it's subscriptions. It's, it's subscribers. They don't want to risk losing any subscribers or any potential people who are just signing up for that fight by going head-to-head with the UFC. The UFC clearly didn't care. But once again, now that they're behind that paywall, the UFC doesn't have to justify anything. 
Canelo Alvarez got a $350 million deal. There are certain numbers that have to be hit to justify that salary. So they were trying to make sure, clear all the decks to make sure that Canelo got as many eyes as possible on him, as many subscriptions as possible on him to make the, the money they spent paying him that contract to fight in the zone. True, true. So with that in mind, man, let's go ahead and let everybody know what you're working on uh, this weekend before we close out. Um, working on the camp stuff in the midst of the Green Arrow stuff, see if we can get that knocked out um, in the next week or so. I hope to have an article coming out in the next next week and then going from there. True, true. Um, I'm covering pro wrestling as usual this week. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend. I'm kind of at a loss for me and Luke Thomas may be doing a watch party for William um, Paul versus KSI too. So we may be working on that. Keep an eye out on Twitter to let you know if, if that's going down. But outside break of that, the internet. Man, we're going to go. Yeah, I know it's going to break the internet. It's going to be the greatest collaboration of all time. Like I, I got always said. Um, we're going to go ahead and close out this week's show. We've gone for an hour and a half, kind of long tonight, but you know we have a lot, a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and close out. Um, thank you, everybody, for checking us out today. We will be back next week. Um, next week, we'll yes, talk sir. about a programming note for like, holidays and all that good stuff. But yeah, man, have a great uh, weekend, and, I, and thanks again for always being on the show. You too. Appreciate it, man. Everybody stay safe out there. <laughs>